Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Hills and an engine and they keep score. It's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, it's just after 8 o'clock, it is Wednesday the 28th of December 2016, I'm John Hindorf, we're live at Hindorf Towers, you can see very little out the windows here because it's dark at B, because it is quite foggy out there. Up in London is our executive producer Tim Gray, hello Tim. Hello John. How is it in London this evening? It has been extremely foggy today, uh, I don't know if it's still foggy because it's dark. Mm, not very pleasant, not very pleasant at all. On a packed programme tonight, we have what? We have all the usual features, oh. but a uh, few of our usual contributors. <laughs> yes, apologies for absence received from Nick Damon, who is en route to his usual retreat in Goa. We can't even reach him on the beach in Goa for a bit of om, because he's not there yet. He is... Uh, I believe he's in Dubai at the moment, if uh, memory serves. A place he's so, uh, going to be visiting again uh, very soon. Yes, indeed, and more of that a bit later on on tonight's programme. However... Um, we also don't have Gwen Goodwin. Yeah, we're not allowed to speak about where he is. He's a tax exile, and he's in the place where tax exiles go. He's 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 gone to the Porsche Caymans, hasn't he? Yes. Uh, that's where the he Porsche is at Grand the moment. The Porsche Grand Cayman, is that the long wheel this one? <laughs> Very yeah, good. Five However, we will have uh, from racer.com Marshall Pruitt uh, later on uh, in tonight's programme, somewhere near the second hour. Uh, and as a special guest, just over to my right, uh, we have Joe Bradley. Good evening, Joseph. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, Joe. And a Happy New Year. Not yet. Yes, it is. You've jumped it off. You've jumped off. It's a, you no, no, it's at this time of year that you always wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year for this coming weekend. Well, for the coming 12 months after this weekend. It is. It's a fact. It's official. What? You're practising the Donald Trump style of PR by just putting it's a fact in there. It's official. Right, OK. Happy New Can year. I be the very last person to say Happy New Year 2016? Uh, Sorry. You can Except then it'll just make me go a happy new year, Tim, for 2016. And happy new year late. to you, John. And, and happy Joe. new year. And, and to Thank you, you Tim. Uh, moving right along here. Um, <laughs> uh, let me get the. Do you have any Twitter. other apologies for that? I've, I've just, I've just realised that I didn't have the uh, the Twitter up in front of me there. Um, but we will get that up in a moment. Um, it's been a, obviously it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Slade Perrin is listening in live for the first time ever. Hello, Slade. Um, hello to Chris Suku listening in tonight. No apologies from Miggins Motorsport. Tuned in and ready to rock, mate. Uh, RTL, right turn, right turn lover, listening in from Graz. Can we have some good news, please, tonight? Oh, okay. We'll yes. do what we can. Can we? Yes, we have some good so? news. Oh, excellent. Uh, and being unsent from Coventry back home to Royal Leamington Spa, uh, says Chris. 
listening in for listening live for midweek remote. The first year I've listened to every episode. This is Mark Harrison. Thanks for a great year. Thank you, Mark, and thank you for your dedication. Then uh, Graham Goodwin is listening in. Uh, says uh, it's a relatively frigid 79 degrees. Um, in fact, hang on. Shea Adam and Graham Goodwin are together listening in at no, the that's, moment. That's only a little bit of gossip, though, surely. Yeah. Not a result, then. Uh, Carol Brink listening in tonight. Uh, and hello to Sarah Rigby as well, uh, who is listening in this evening. Right, that's the housekeeping done. Let's crack on with our top story, which means Tim will shuffle his papers and play the news jingle. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And we start with Formula One tonight. Yay! I'm sorry, Joe's got to say that because he's standing in. Yay! There you go. And we're joined by our substitute Formula One correspondent, Joe Bradley. Yay! Does that mean he's... Is that a bit like the sort of substitute driver? Is he like the reserve driver then? Yes, he normally stands at the back of the garage with his arms folded and uh, headset on. In fairness, that's what I usually do here. Stand at the back of the room watching Nick drive the... The, the, uh, the talk the F1 talk mm. that's talk not talk talk not be mixed up with talk no indeed uh, where would you like to start with F1 then uh, I'd like to start with uh, Mark Martin in Formula 1 as the inspiration of Felipe Massa ah who uh, whose retirement seems to involve uh, driving a Formula 1 car in uh, the full season of 2017 Sorry, run that by me again? He's the inspiration. Oh, well, Mark you mean Martin, remember. Retired, came back, retired. Did re- partial, partial tour, then. Several this will times, be, yes. Yes, partial season. This will be my last year, and then came back and did a full year. Yes, that's right. Mark, I see. Mark, Mark Sorry, Martin's I was first very year slow of retirement there. involved uh, 35 uh, NASCAR Sprint Cup races. Yes. <laughs> yes, I was a bit slow there. And this is all about then Felipe Massa. Coming back to Williams, having retired. Yes. Or or will he? First of all, he always certainly will. Before we debate that point, Joe Bradley, we haven't had a chance to talk to you about this. Um, was it the right time for him to go in the first place? And is he the right person to keep on to have with Lance Stroll? I think his dis- remember he only ever said he was retiring from Formula 1 he didn't say he was retiring from racing and he did say recently I've just read somewhere that he quote I quote he was hoping to race something else in a top level series um, use your imagination there of where he was aiming for there now if you decide to retire from something it's because surely you're tired of it are you being pushed or is it was it his choice um I think he was probably he probably jumped before he was pushed because if he'd made the decision that he was tired of that you know a 2021 20, race series the intensity of Formula One mm-hmm. and I'm not talking about just, I'm not talking about driving the car that's the easy bit for these guys oh yes. it's dealing with the pressures of the media and you know he picked his nose with his left finger there's got to be something in that he usually uses his right that kind of <laughs> intrusive kind of nonsense uh, nonsense yes um, and I've, I've I'm quite puzzled. Um, I can't. I can't believe he'll have done it for the money. I mean, 
He's not exactly short of a bob or two. He, and and the thing that intrigues me is the Williams side of things. Are these cars so intrinsically complex that they must, must, must get someone who has already raced these cars and knows these cars inside out? Because surely someone out there from, you know, whoever's available, and uh, you know, that's open to debate, surely could have slotted into a Williams. Lance Stroll's been doing some testing for them. Just a um, bit. Alex Lynn's another Williams test driver. Um, yeah, he's he's got a rather busy uh, next year in a GTE car, though. Yeah, well, yeah, as yeah. a works driver well, for someone else. Formula One or GTE, you be the choice. Anyways, the, 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 the issue with young Formula One drivers is that uh, the title sponsor of the Williams Martini F1 team has a bit of a problem with young drivers in that there are a lot of countries where young drivers are not allowed to buy the sponsor's product and therefore well, can't mm. be used to advertise the sponsor's yes, product. Yes, that's a fair point well made and beautifully presented. They could have me as their third driver for not very much. Everybody knows that, you know, I'm old enough to drink. I'm a very good advert for Martini, Cinzano or whatever they call it. It'd be good if you knew what the product was. Yes, it would. I haven't. I didn't have, actually. I didn't have to research it though. Coming into this, Joe um, Bradley, anytime, any place, anywhere. anywhere. Yeah, my favourite livery. They haven't. My absolute favourite livery. But there are plenty of drivers over over the age of eighteen who would fit the bill. Nineteen isn't enough in nineteen uh, in the US. Twenty-one. Canada, nineteen in some states of Canada. Right. Twenty-one in, the, in some states of the states. So who would you have picked if if you were Williams? Not would, at all in the Middle East or France. Would you, of would you have rang Massa and said, Philippe, have a have a rethink. We've uh, you know we've lost Bottas. If you're looking Ex- for someone who's twenty-two years old or higher then I think Massa is the obvious choice. No. You know who I would have gone for? Paul de Resta. Really? Well, I said that for Mercedes. Yeah. It's a Mercedes engine. So yeah, I'd, I'd have gone for Massa for Mercedes. He's got unfinished business, de Resta. For one year. Yeah. I'd have, I'd have gone for Massa for Mercedes for one year. Oh, that's, a, ca- that's a good one. If you can't get Alonso, which you can't. I'm, I was surprised with their choice of Bottas. Well... They haven't done the deal yet. They Tim, haven't announced have the deal yet. The deal hasn't been announced, which is why Massey can't be announced back at Williams. For my two, Penneth, I don't think Felipe was ready to go, if I'm honest. You oh, think you agree with what I've said there? I don't think he was ready he, to he go. He was being pushed. Yes. He was being pushed out yes. for Lance Stroll. Yes. Um, he Lots was of lo- money. Yeah, he was the logical choice to, you know, he wasn't in the. He is in the twilight of his career. Um, for me, though, going back to Mercedes. Why did Mercedes put Verline in that car? That makes a mockery of their driver programme. Surely that's what Verline has been bred unless by Mercedes not, to do. Unless he's not all that good. Unless he, unless they don't like his lack of discipline. Mm. Remember how he went against team orders? I can't remember what Grand Prix it was, but he went against team orders for something or other. Tim might be able to shed some light. Something, something rocks my memory. Um... There is something there, though, isn't there? There is something there that they don't like, which again, it kind of makes a bit of a makes the Mercedes driver program a bit of a joke. Toto Wolff has said that uh, Verline is an extraordinary driver. Um, Didn't say whether he was extraordinarily good or bad, though. But did he, he also said Esteban Ocon is an extraordinary mm-hmm. driver. The tested Ocon, of course, when. Um, after Barcelona, when Lewis decided he'd had enough and was about to walk away, as in Renault already got Ocon's name on a contract. I would say that Ocon is more of a um, more extraordinary than uh, Verline. I agree. Right Turn Lover says, and with that's the news why everyone else wanted him. 
Right to Lover says, with the new super license points thing, is there a shortage of eligible drivers? It's a fair point. I don't know. Yeah, is Paul DeRester eligible for a Formula One super license? I, I, do, I, I don't know. It's a good point. It's been more Mark than Harrison. three years. Mark Harrison's a good point. Mm. Jensen Bud? Still tied up with Honda. Mm. He's got one mm. more year of a Honda contract, so can't do very much. Because there is a guy who could deliver. No. Yes, he can. No. But I think... Although at least he knows where the team is. It's like... He won a world championship <laughs> with them. Well, well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He, he knows did. how to find the factory. Um, <laughs> yes, he did. Which is a good start, I think. It's a bit like Rosberg. Round of applause. You know, he, he, his head's not in it. He doesn't want to go there again. He retires. Massa, I think the fact that Massa's coming back just confirms what you and I have said, John, in that he was pushed. And, and but Question from Carol Brink. Does Massa get to keep his Formula One car retirement present? Ooh. Or does he get another one when he leaves the second time around? I think he had to pay for the retirement present, didn't he? Oh, did he? Did he have to buy? Well, he Hang on. Was it his dad who paid? No way. He had to buy the car that they gave him for his retirement present. That I'm, rather. I'm, I'm pretty sure that Felipe Massa's dad has bought quite a lot of cars in the past. Mm. And that this is just another one of those. So what we're waiting for now then is for Toto Wolf to decide that he's definitely going to... Come back from holiday. Yeah. And he's going to sign Valtteri Bottas... Presume to give Valtteri Bottas some money rather than take money from Bottas to put him in the car, which I I guess is what's happening at Williams, is it? Well, obviously, he... Oh, you've uh, got very quiet. Hang on. As Valtteri Bottas' manager, he'll be taking 15% of whatever he gives Oh, yes, of course. I'd forgotten about that. Sorry, who's his manager? Tim's got very fit. Uh, uh, Toto Wolff. Oh, well, there you have it then. I forget about the politics of it all. So he's not going to drop himself in the doodah, is he? in the same way that he led uh, Christian Horner up the garden path about Mercedes-Benz engines, then one would expect then that not to be the case with um, the signing of the driver. Because it's himself who's yet to... Uh, who would not... Uh, who, who He'd be putting himself out, is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, Either way, he knows what's going to happen. What about Pastor Maldonado? What about Pastor Maldonado? He's very keen to get back into Formula 1. I don't think it's going to happen this year. As a commentator. Mm. Don't forget, don't for the thing about Bottas going to Mercedes-Benz is it's only for one year. And, I've, and I, I'm not sure Bottas, that's a great move for Bottas. I think it's a career suicide, dear. It's a good point. It, it potentially is it only potentially for one year. Is, yeah. Because if Vettel... Uh, Vettel and Alonso are up for grabs at the end of next year. So who would you go for? Me to to go presuming that Hamilton stays or thinking that Hamilton might not stay. Well, Hamilton's say, contract well, is up as well. So Hamilton's oh. contract up as well. Right. Have we had enough of Hamilton's shenanigans? Could be a huge mix-up. Vettel and Alonso in, the, in Mercedes. Stranger things Bottas have happened. And Alonso maybe. Bottas and Alonso. I am. But Alonso doesn't Ver- want Bottas to. Doesn't want to race in Formula One. He wants to go and race in uh, sports cars. Yeah, I I think you're probably right, Tim. Which brings but us I'm on to our next story. Oh, okay. Oh, you've, we've moved on. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, is this Series Eleven still? It is still Series Eleven, and this is the final episode. Which is episode what? Forty-seven. Uh, it is. Hmm. Yeah. Good question. I think it is 47. Let me have a look. 
There, there is not one on the front page. 45 it is. This is 46 then. 45 was the last one we did. Because we did stars on 45. Yes. Yeah. So this is 46. So this is 46, yes. Uh, because everything else has been um, review programmes. And by the way, fingers crossed, next week we will be doing our IMSA review with Shea Adam from IMSA Radio and Marshall Pro from Racer.com joining me at 8 o'clock normal time. But we'll uh, try and string out the whole two hours to an IMSA review, which is apposite because pretty much straight away we start with IMSA content on over on IMSA, IMSA Radio uh, and RadioLamont.com for the Raw before the 24. So that's next week at this time, or 15 minutes before that. Our next story is sports car based, says uh, Tim Gray. Where would you like us to go? Uh, I'd like you to go to Spain. Oh, uh, yeah, all right. And the uh, I can specialist, deal with that. The specialist uh, media uh, for the motorsport industry in Spain, Motor y Rathing. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, who have claimed that Fernando Alonso will race in the 2017 Le Mans 24 Hours. For? McLaren. Interesting. Now, McLaren has dismissed these reports, um, saying that uh, it's well, not going to happen. Well, they haven't got a car, is the short answer to that, isn't it? Zach Brown, the executive director of McLaren, however, has ah, said... Yes. Has said that uh, Zach Clown, as I think we should start calling him, because he is very funny, is uh, going to upgrade the 650S GT3 uh, to GTE spec, uh, yep. and therefore uh, the car would be eligible to participate in the LMGTE Pro category. Would it? Yes, it would. Yes, they've changed the regulations on carbon fibre tubes, so yes, it would be. The interesting thing about that, if anyone would like to do this, go back to the McLaren GT3 launch programme that Nick and I did from Ron World, as it then was, as it always will be, and when questioned, Martin Whittaker, who was the project manager for that car, said every time we've had a decision to... And bear in mind, the 650S is based on that car, because it's all the same centre section. Every time we had to make a decision of whether we would do it as a straight GT3 or whether we would do it as a GTE... We went down the GTE route so that in the future we would be able to have a GTE car and therefore Le Mans spec car. And in fact, now can I say what I'm about to say? Shall I say what uh, Zach Brown, what else Zach Brown said? Yes, go on. At Le Mans, GT cars are notorious for being significantly slower than the LMP cars, which sometimes create safety issues. Our goal is to set a trend and present the first GT that won't be a mobile chicane around Lasarth. They're big words, aren't they? Well, and just proving that he clearly knows nothing at all about motor racing if he says things like that. Because the GTEs at Le Mans run under performance envelopes and they're only allowed to go as fast as they can go. And this man's in charge of McLaren and thinks he's going to be the next Bernie Eccleston. That is a ridiculous thing to say. That's almost as ridiculous as saying you could drive one of these cars down to Le Mans and then go and win it, which somebody else said about well, a car. Motorsports own Donald Trump. What? He's a fantasist. That's, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Let's assume 
no sense whatsoever. Let's assume that McLaren are going to convert the 650S GT3 into GTE car and have an entry in GTE Pro for Le Mans. Well, well hang on. Just just before you say that, that entry needs to be in in two weeks' time. Yes, plenty of time. Right. And that Fernando Alonso will be uh, driving that car. Yeah. Who would you put alongside him in that car? Well, McLaren have got a whole host of very good drivers, so you'd put him with them. Rob Bell is a McLaren driver. There's a there's Let, other McLaren. Let's uh, Gisberg. assume that uh, this is real life and that... Uh, some drivers are already under contract to other teams. Right. Um, well, Rob Bell isn't. He's a McLaren driver, and if McLaren were going to go to Le Mans, he would be part of that. He'd be mm-hmm. a perfect fit. He would be a perfect experience. fit. He's driven Aston Martins. Um, he's been loaned by McLaren to, to Aston Martin for, for GTE and Ferraris for GTE driving. So Rob Bell would be in there. And then anybody else you want? Jensen Button? Jensen Button is one of the uh, drivers named by Motoi Rathing. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Uh, obviously, he and uh, Fernando have a good relationship already. Jensen and is kind. So, of are we talking about 2017 or 2018? Yes. Are we talking about a two-car team or a one-car single-car team? This looks like a single-car team. Yeah, that wouldn't happen either. If you if McLaren were going to enter, they would ask for two entries. The only way that they would guarantee themselves to invitations was to have two full-season WEC cars. Exactly, which is why they might only want to enter one. They still might not get an entry. Zach Brown's got a good relationship with the ACO, remember? Motorsport.com's been blazing all over La South, the circuit. That's because they buy it. The if other name uh, mentioned is uh, Mark Webber. The retired Mark Webber. The retired Mark Webber who uh, last week had uh, dinner with uh, the retired Jensen Button, mm-hmm. uh, where this matter was apparently discussed. Well, I know that he and Jensen discussed Jensen coming into um, sports car racing for quite a while uh, before Mark left. And Fernando, of course, although it was poo-pooed, um, Fernando had... Fernando Alonso had been in quite advanced talks with Porsche about driving for Porsche um, at Le Mans in a P1 car, LMP1 hybrid car. And in fact, of course, um, he said he was disappointed that Mark had retired so that he didn't have a chance to drive with them at Le Mans uh, in the video that was played at the Bahrain WEC party. Um it's Mark, Mark said to me, and the interview is there for people to listen to, that he's not interested in driving a GT car. He just doesn't see it. However, um, unless it's a it's a it's a nice little jeep, isn't it? Getting getting into the car with Jensen Button and Fernando Alonso to for a bit of a career swan song in a McLaren. I th- I think that's, I hope it does come off. I'd love to see. There's that only happen. one small problem, go and ahead. right turn lubber has hit the nail on the head here. The McLaren can't go to Le Mans next year because it didn't go to Le Doux for the balance of performance test. There's, so there's the Mac- ways around that. <sighs> I, I, I don't know. I would like. Let's ju- right. I'd love to see. And it's got to happen in the next two weeks. I'd love to see that. Let's just. 
all right, let's cut with reality. Let's break away from reality here and live in this fantasy world along with Sam Brown. Brown yes. Yeah, and and having those three um, superstars in a McLaren at Le Mans in the GT Pro class, fantastic. Mm. Let's and, hope it happens. And let's of course, he has a big massive. And, well, I hope it happens because <coughs> for it to go there and then not to win means we could all point and laugh at them for being a mobile chicane. Oh, we, nev- we, never, we never point and laugh, John. Come on, we all know... Oh, no, you do when people say stupid well, things, Joe. When people say things... Somebody's going to have to rein them in, aren't they? When people say things... Like as stupid as that. ...that are as obviously... Stupid's not the right word, mm. is it? It's just woefully uninformed. Yes. And for someone yes. to be in a position that he is to make those stupid kind... Sorry, woefully uninformed pronouncements it's a bit like when david coulthard talks about um sports car racing and he opens his mouth and you just go david really you did not want to say that because he's massively uninformed about it and he says things that makes him sound uninformed out of it silliness yeah and you just want to shake your head and go really you had Mm. to say that hmm interesting very uh, interesting. Let's go back to our previous story now. Yes. Uh, due to something I've just picked up from uh, the Italians. <laughs> well, if you rub the uh, if you rub the ointment on it, it'll go away in a couple of weeks. If you look, got a group of Italians at your. Yes, they, they've, just, they've just popped in. Sort of. Gazzetta dello Sport. Yes. Uh, has just quoted uh, Toto Wolf as saying that he wants to test the ability of Valentino Rossi. And yes. Sebastian Ogier yes. behind the wheel of a Formula One car. Mm. My idea is to organise a day with them, a track day with both of them. That'd be cool. A track day with both of them. Good, yeah, good for him. Cool. So, this is as uh, Bottas alternative, by the way. Yeah, not going to happen. What, you mean... <laughs> You mean Ogier and uh, and Rossi instead of Bottas? Two words for you: super license. license. Yes. Baptism of fire. Mm. Uh, again, wha- again. I wish that would happen. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> Three car from Mercedes. Sebastian Ogier. Hang on a second. Rossi, it's not the first. I haven't walked up and it's, I've not sort it's of. Christmas. Through it's Christmas. Anything could happen. It's the first. There's of a April. guy in a big suit with a big white beard brought presents the other day. How fantastic was that? We're still in the realms of Santa Claus here. Live it, John. Live it. Embrace it. What engine does the Toro Rosso have? Ah, now that's a very good question. You mean at the moment or going forwards? At the moment. It doesn't have any engine at the moment, does it? Yes. Have have they got an engine? Is that signed? Ongoing? Right. Right. But it might be a rebadged Renault. Mecha. Chrome or whatever. Mechachrome's just been bought by who? By Leisure. Megatron? No. Yes, by Leisure. By Onrock, really? sorry. Onrock. Really? Yeah. Megatron? Matra? I don't know. Uh, they're looking for sponsors to uh, rebadge their engine. Are they? Yes. To get some money. Who is it then? Well, they haven't said. Oh, they haven't said. Oh, I see. Right. I'm guessing that as. Red Bull got their engine rebadged as a tag. Yeah. Then Toro Rosso might also be looking at their watch sponsor. Mm. Who are? I believe it's Casio. Casio. 
We're going to have a Casio engine, are we? Edifice. It's Edifice, isn't it? That's, uh, Edifice, is it? Okay. Yeah. They used to be Red Bull, and and they've I think they've moved across to Toro Rosso now. But that, you're right, it is a Casio brand. It's their high end brand. Um, Hot Master, uh, Hot Master, in the UK or nearest makes no difference. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport, the final program of 2016 and Series 11. Yeah. And Tim Gray is going to take us where? Uh, to money. <laughs> oh yes please uh, who are the top five highest earning drivers in Formula 1 in history at the moment right in at the moment uh, Hamilton well during 2016 let's say in 2016 alright alright Hamilton yep Vettel. Is he one? Is Hamilton one? Hamilton is one of them. Is this overall, not just from what he gets from his team? So this is overall, five. including... Overall. Sponsorship. Bringing sponsorship. So, Hamilton's one. Yep. Vettel. Vettel. Raikkonen. Vettel, Vettel two? I don't have the order of them. Oh, right. okay. Vettel, Raikkonen. Alonso. Alonso. Not Raikkonen. Raikkonen up there, Tim. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. Alonso, then? Yep. So, that's one, two, three, four. So, who's the fifth? Um... I will champion. say. Sorry, sorry, Tim. He said, "Who's the world champion?" Oh, right, Rosberg then. Yeah, yeah. Rosberg. Yeah, I forgot him already because he's retired. You're uh, harsh. The other um, Formula One drivers apparently all earn less money than Sir Jackie Stewart. Wow. What did this year? Did this year from Formula One. Sir Jackie is a very shrewd businessman mm. and has the same some of the same sponsors and has held on to his sponsors all the way through his career, notably Rolex. Yes. Ford? He's, bit, Ford? he's yes. Um and he is uh he's not with Goodyear now, is he? No. <laughs> Dutch brewery. No. Sorry, say again? Dutch brewery. Amstel? No, the other one. No. Carlsberg. That's Danish. That's Danish. Oh, okay. Which one then? Heineken. Oh, Heineken, of course. And he's also got... Has he still got the Scottish Water Company with him as well? Highland Spring. I'm uh, not sure he has. Uh, uh, well, he is the driver that brought uh, commercialism into racing drivers' lives, isn't he? But he retired 42, 43 years ago. I know. That's incredible, isn't it? That's it. That is an incredible stat. Uh, the John is speechless. No, that's all right. I'm just uh, Thomas Kubiak says, "Is that McLaren story a day story? It's April Fool's Day equivalent in Spain today." Ah, ah, is it? Which that is why I said, "Have it. I woke up on April Fool's Day?" Yes. Didn't realise that. Spanish calendar was different. Oh, just go with it. It's it's good fun. Well, it it brings us neatly onto this. Noticias en español. Ole. Por midweek motorsport. Van Dorn, El Coq de 2017, Pereche 
Muy aggressivo. Mm. I think it's to do with Christmas dinner. Yeah. And Stoffel has produced aggressive in how we started the, the Christmas. Well, it was the Christmas chicken, as they do in Spain. All right, okay. Um, they pick their favourite chicken. Right. And they um, cook it. But he's gone too aggressive on the start. It's rather than slow cook, which gives you a nice, juicy, succulent breast to the meat. Um, he's gone overly aggressive. Stoffel mm. van Doorn had descrito el monoplaza de McLaren Honda del ano que viene designado bajo a nuevo reglamento como muy bonito, muy futurista y muy agresivo. Yeah. Well, his problem here, and this this is uh, all about him uh, and his driving as well. His driving has been... Uh, He's cooked his chicken like he drives his car. Yeah, too fruity, uh, too aggressively, and too quickly. And having burnt the chicken mm-hmm. for the team, mm-hmm. the McLaren team, he's had to be very discreet or yeah. in in hiding the fact that it's been overly cooked. Well, and of course, if anyone has ever been to Ron World, um, the McLaren Technology Centre, they will know that a burnt chicken just wouldn't go through there. They have a, a, a staff wellness centre where you get all your alfalfa shoots and stuff like that. So, burnt chicken, not, not going to Not necessarily saying burnt, John. We just, if you overly aggressively cook a chicken, it means that the inside of the chicken is raw, but the outside is well cooked. We're not saying he's burnt it. Mm. He's just been overly aggressive. So, he's not getting the stint length out of the chicken? No. And the mm. regulations were, that, as mentioned in the latter part of that statement, mm-hmm. it's the, the, regu- the cooking regulations mm-hmm. on cooking chickens, especially at Ron World, mm-hmm. He was outside of those regs, and right. he's been... He fell outside the parameters. He fell outside the parameters of the right. chicken regs. Okay. Creo que los cocks del ano que viene serán un poco más complicados del pelotar, mm-hmm. porque yeah. la aerodinámica y los nuevos neumáticos deberían hacer que fueran un par de segundos más rápidos por vuelta. Yeah, you see? Exactly as, exactly as we thought... The cooking regulations are far too complicated for a driver. And in order to try and grab this back from the abyss, he tried to pump up the chicken with hot air on from the inside, pneumatico. From the wind tunnel. From the wind tunnel. Um, but the aerodynamic effect of the chicken was a massive breakthrough, and now we're going to see a complete new front end on the McLaren for 2017. Serán físicamente más duros, así que lo trabajaré con mi entrenador. Iremos a algunas campos de entrenamiento durante el invierno para prepararme tanto como sea posible para el primer test. Yeah, so what's going to happen is, and this is very interesting... Because once the shape of the chicken with the two legs and the additional wings slightly higher up has been incorporated into the front end of the McLaren, they're going to do some real-world testing. But because they can't get the Honda engine to fire up, the Arsenal team, the Gunners, are going to come and push the car down the runway to do some real-world testing to see if it all works and that's how they'll know if they're in good shape. Did I also pick up a sentence where they were going to mount one of the front-facing cameras inside 
between the leg and the breast. Yes. Did I pick that? Yes. All right, Abs- that right. And it's very discreet in there. It's very discreet yes. in yes, there, very is. aerodynamic. Absolutely. The Hawking though. Go channel off that air around the leg. Exactly. And over the top of the, the bony bit that yes. sticks out. So you cause a vortex. Yes. Which attaches the, it, it will attach the air to the rest of the the bird as it goes over the chicken wings which are tucked underneath the breast. Well, but obviously it's not a chicken, it's just in the shape thereof. Well, uh, Does yeah. that mean the driver's going to have his legs down the cavity? That's probably good. Well, I didn't pick up anything about what they're going to the do. The driving about the position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? That's a good point. Is there any more of that, Tim? No importer, Quantro. Huh? En trenies durante el invierno, al final de prima, dia que vuelvas al coc, después de navidades, terminarás sintiéndote destrozado. Say, also, I nice... Heard Christmas chicken in there. You heard Christmas chicken. Navidades, which yes. is Christmas. Yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Interesting as well, they're going back to the traditional McLaren orange for the testing colour. Did you hear about Quantro? That's orange, obviously. Yes. They're going back to the traditional... Always used to be orange. It's not orange. quite orange, because that's Narania. It would be like a golden orange. A golden orange, orange. Yes. 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 Very good. Yes. But going back, that's obviously yes. harking back to the old days when yes. before you came out with your livery, it was always in McLaren orange. Yes, that, which right. is which is nice, and it's a Christmas it's a Christmas chicken therefore for the whole of the team, not necessarily to be eaten. And moving on, the skill and the regulations state that you have to cook your chicken to that regulation McLaren orange. Yes, on the outside. Yes, exactly right. Is that it? Hopefully, that is it. Yes, I think we nailed that. Uh, two so other bits of there? Formula One news. Or, yeah. Uh, which are uh, that uh, Santino Ferrucci will continue as Haas's Formula One test Excellent. driver. And uh, the other Haas story is that uh, Roman Grosjean said uh, uh, driving for Haas reminded him of GP2. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. I don't think he meant that it was 10 seconds slower than a proper Formula One car. I think he meant mm. that it was a nice family atmosphere, like he got at Dams. Mm. Uh, who is ready to talk about what's coming up in two weeks' time? Ooh. Ooh. Well, that'll be Joe. <laughs> Joe will be wandering up and down that pit lane for the Dubai oh. 24 hours. Hancock uh, 24 hours of Dubai. Uh, which has... A record entry, is it? Oh, well, no, not, but not, not far. Uh, okay. I think we had 100 cars as the entry, uh, although we only started from memory 98 uh, last year or the year before. Um, we have an absolutely stunning entry of very nearly 100 cars, uh, which I, I don't even know where to start with this, no, Joseph. I know. Um, if if we start with the, 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 the start number one, the Hofer Racing Car, which is the Swiss, German and Dutch driver lineup in the Swiss entered car. This is one of the new AMG Mercedes GT3s, the 6.2 cars. Michael and Chantel Kroll. Chantel Kroll, of course, our uh, champion from a year or so ago in the whole of the 24-hour scene. He's Roland Eggerman, Kenneth Heyer, uh, Kenneth Heyer, excuse me, and Christian uh Frank and Hoot uh, together. That already looks a good car. The number two, similar machine, Black Falcon, 
fact, two and three of the two black Falcon cars. Caladel Cabesi, Jerome Blakemore, and Patrick Assenheimer, Manuel Metzger, uh, and Abdelaziz Alfaisal. Oh, that's interesting. Abdelaziz Alfaisal, he's been doing very well in the Middle East Porsche GT3 Cup Championship. Hubert Haupt, Yelma Berman, Michael Branziewski, and Mardo Engel in that car. Very strong. Not exactly out of it there, are they? Fourth car, though, mate. There is the potential winner of this Do event. Do you think? Yeah, well, it won last year. Belgian yeah, Audi Club. team won last year. Yeah, Belgian Audi Club, WRT. Look at the driver lineup on that number four. This is a latest model Audi R8. Uh, Enzo Ide, Stuart Leonard, Robin French, uh, Christopher Meese and Ruben Meese. And their second car, uh, Mohammed bin Saad Al Said and Mohammed bin... Fezzel, I'll said, again, Porsche Middle East Cup drivers. Marcel Fezzler in the five car. Hop Suisse there. And Michael Verges. Yeah. Bizarre. Now, Verge hasn't... Uh, I haven't seen Verge race anything for a little while. Raced off an English licence as well, I see. Yeah. Um, HB Racing have a Lamborghini Huracan. Norbert Seidler in that car, along with Sam Tordoff and For- Florian Spengler. Herbert Handlios. Now, these are only the A6, the GT cars. Manti... Now, you never count out Mantai. Uh, Otto Klaus Sven Müller, works driver. Matteo Caroli, Jochen Krumbach. All of those guys with Nürburgring 24-hour experience and with Olaf Mantai back in this race. Some of these cars, John, are arm class as well. Uh, Yes, that's a good point. And how do I tell that there? There there is nothing to tell from that, but the whole for racing car is a pro-arm. Yeah. Um, I think, looking at it, the SPS... Automotive performance is a pro-am. Uh, our very own Tom Onslow call in the number Yeah, with Lance David series. Arnold, yeah. Tim Muller and Valentil Payberg. Um, let's not count out Optimum as well there. George yes. Bourne, Flick Haig. They were driving together with Ryan Ratcliffe at Abu the Abu Dhabi 12 hours a couple of weeks ago. Christopher Haase mm-hmm. in that uh, Audi Works driver. I think that's in the pro class, surely. Uh, don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Uh IDEC Sport Racing, IDEC Sport Racing, um, Patrice and Paul Lafar, Gabriel Abigail, Alban Varucci. V8 Racing have their Corvette ZR1, ZR1 uh, for the old Dutch Wolf Nathan, Rick Aberesh and Lois Hazeman's team. Baz Coton's Eurotrack Dodge Viper, just the 8.4 litres there. Again, old Dutch team. Bart de Huis, Daniel de Jong, Ivo Brukes, uh, Leon Runbeek. Uh, in that car, another hurricane for Conrad. Now, Conrad were very unlucky last year. Looked like they were in with a chance, had some issues. You've got Mark Basseng in that car as the lead driver. Marco Mapelli's no rabbit. Gilles Gunon, Lucas Stoltz as well. Vincent Rademacher in the Gravity Racing car. HTP with Bern Schneider. And Carsten Tuttle. in that Gravity car, by the way. Yes, sir. Gerard in a contemporary car, in difference to... I think he races a lot of historics. So now, keeps his hand in. here's the cars that could be the outsiders. Mm. The United Arab Emirates entered GP Extreme, Renault RS01. Now, this is the GT3 alike spec of these cars. Fred Fatian with uh, Tiziano Carugati, Josh Webster and Stuart Hall. Got the grips with that car. They had a decent run out in Abu Dhabi. The second car for Jordan Groger, the South African driver, Louis Delatraz from Switzerland, Jean-Eric Verne and Nicky Pastorelli. That is a very, very that's good a, lineup. That's not Jean-Louis Delatraz, is it? That's Louis Delatraz, who's Jean-Louis' son. I think so, yes. Yeah. 
um, John Eric Vern, Nicky Pastorelli. That uh, that is got that is a cracking driver lineup. Um, 991 GT3R for Robert Lucas, Martin Jedelinski, Wolf Hensler, and Santiago Creel. That's the fourth racing Olymp car. And that is, again, that's if Wolf's in that car, that's worked blessed. Couple of car collection cars. Peter Schmidt, um, the only driver in one of them. Um, Max Edelhoff, Gustav Edelhoff, Elmer Grimm, uh, Ingo Volga. We've seen those before with Dr. Johannes Kirchhoff as well. Attempto Racing in a Porsche uh, with Imza Performance as well. Raymond Narak in there with Maxime Juice uh, as well. That's worth looking at. Herbert Motorsport. Well, we know all about Daniel Allen and Ralph Bourne, Robert and Alfred Renner and straight away your each way bet goes on to that, yeah, doesn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Those guys, they do the maths. Two 24-hour races in a 12-hour back-to-back in the summer. Two Grasser Racing Lamborghini Huracans for Christian Engelhardt, right, Wolf Inaishin, Mirko Bartolotti, Rick Breukers, and Adrian Amstutz split between those two, the, those two cars. There's the Leipert Motorsport. They've got a super trophy. Now, those cars were quick in uh, Abu Dhabi. Ollie Webb, Jake Rattenbury, uh, both very good British drivers. Jake coming up through the Janetta ranks. Uh, Jean-Charles uh, Jean Perrin, and Harold Schlotter, uh, both uh, adding into that as well. Um, GPC Motorsport with a, one of the Vortex cars. Who else has got now? That's now. Is that the end of the yeah, we're GT3s? The SPX. Let me just have a quick look through and see if there's any more. So that's the GT3s that we've gone through very quickly there. SPX are for. St- sort of stuff that doesn't fit I'm just going to look down quickly to the GT4s and see what we've got there Pro you've, Sport you've, Performance you've missed out John the, one of the the most competitive classes is the 991 class oh well yes Porsche Cup and the and, uh, ah now the story here is Ramsey yes. Nabli Sammy Mutran and Phil Quaif in the Merak Ogilvy dual racing I think we got the scoop on that the Lebanese entered 95 car they have eschewed for the moment their TCR Seat that's right. They sold the car. The car's the sold. Car's gone. Yeah. Remember, he was telling us in Abu Dhabi, it was a very emotional time for them. They've done so much with that car. They've won championships. They've won races. But they've moved up a class. They've moved up a performance class, and now they're in the 991 class, running a Porsche. And no doubt about it. I'm not. Did he mention whether Jules Westwood will be overseeing the operations of that mm. or the tactics from the pit wall? Because remember, endurance racing is won from the pit wall. A couple of oddities um, in the SP2. Uh, category along with a whole load of cup uh, Porsches VDS Racing Adventures got a Mark Focus in there um, we've got the Vortexes in there as well or should that be the Vortices but also a Brockenex Silversting for Wolfgang Kaufmann among others oh, Jap van Lagen as well the former uh, WTCC works larder driver I know not about the <coughs> Bovi Motorsport Brockenex Silversting it's 3.8, which tends to suggest that to me that that is either a flat-six Porsche engine or possibly a V6 Nissan engine twin-turbo. Well, it looks a bit Lotus Elise-ish or Mosler even, doesn't it? Mm. So we need to find out a bit about that. Uh, a couple of GT4. GT Academy, Team RJN with Jan Mardenborough, Ricardo Sanchez, Roman Salazar and Johnny Grindy uh, with Bob Neville running the... 
GTZ. Ah, now that's a four-liter car. That's the GT4 car. That's interesting. That's in SP3, up with the G55 GT4s, including CWS Racing back again with Colin White uh, and Century Motorsport with Nathan Freak and the team, and Stuart Lynn uh, with Aid Bardwick, Dan O'Brien, and Will Moore for Optimum in a GT4 Janetta. Those are all 3.7 Ford engined cars and then we're into all the Caymans and there are Legion, KTM Crossbow, is that in the GT4? Yes it is it's interesting um, very interesting and we're not into the um, SP2 SP2, we've gone no, we've no, through the TCRs TCR. Honda Civic, Seat Leon, Seat Leon Audi RS3 for Speed Factory Racing that'd be the first time I've seen one of those Seat Leon uh, and then the A classes are the saloon car classes, caught Oiser with an M3, RKC, RKC yeah, TGM, always very, very uh, competitive. Win- class winners at uh, Bruno, remember? Yeah. Uh, team Ultran have got the 208 GTIs, Guillaume Romain, Thierry Blas, Kim Holgrand, Michael Carson, the French and Scandinavian team, and then a team, team of champions. all colours. Team Champions, mm. Team Ultron. Yep, very good. Zorg Rensport with a couple of BMW 235i Cup cars. Duo Racing back for another go. And in A2, we've got the two teams, Sally Cleo Cup, two-litre cars in there. Team Cleo Cup France as well in that. And Team... Ah, yes. Team Kereisha is back. Uh, Jakob Christensen, Tom's brother, with Jan Engelbrecht, uh, Thomas Sorensen, Jens Molgaard and Hendrik Soren. Um, so that is a quick rush through the fields uh, and the addition as well of a prototype race separately, in fairness uh, to that, which means that we are on the air even earlier than usual, um, as we will be covering not only all of the uh uh, all of the racing and track action for the Hankook 24. But we have the 3x3 three three hours of Dubai for the prototype cars. And I've got a feeling that they are on the track on the Tuesday for the first race at... Uh, That's correct. Is that 2 t- o'clock? 2 o'clock. Tuesday, yeah. Tuesday, three local hours. time. So into the gloaming. Qualifying, is it... Um, 12 o'clock till 1, then we've got a bit of a break, an hour's break, before, and then we go straight into the first three hours. How how does, this is the 10th of January, so this is not next week, but the week after. How are we going to fit midweek motorsport in that week, Tim? Are we going to be able to get that in at, are we We're going not, to do no. it early, and do it as an early like we do at Le Mans, and then play it out again in its normal slot? Uh, if I have a look and see what we have planned... Um, that's the long week. The rent car rides is 12.15 to 13.45, so we'll be out on the track making sure we know every inch of the Dubai Grand Prix circuit. I love that circuit. It is very good. It works really, really well it, for a, an endurance circuit. It work, It would have worked very, very well for a Formula 1 oh, circuit, yes, in my have. view, which was what the autodrome was built for, remember, and then Abu Dhabi came in from the, from the wings and... Uh, I'm not saying stole the Grand Prix, but negotiated the Grand Prix uh, away from them. Um, But what a circuit that is. Fabulous. Um, 
interestingly in that list that we've gone through the pro sport gt4 club sport uh and the mr spec of the cayman will race against each other two teams mm. two different specs of cars uh and also is alexandra hachuvina linked to the window manufacturer of the same name says right turn lover yes one of the chief execs of the family business says Johannes Quaglica before I could even Google it. Thank you very much indeed. So, full live and exclusive coverage from Dubai then in the week, uh, commencing the Tuesday the 10th of... uh, Tuesday the 10th of January. Uh, We'll have that first prototype race. Try and give you a bit of bonus coverage before that as well of some of the... uh, qualifying but definitely that first three hour race and then check the schedule for details on the front page of RadioLamont.com. an interesting uh, exploration of new ground for Creventic and for Hankook 24 hour series racing with the uh, with the prototype cars in uh, their own separate 3x3 hour races that we'll be covering as well for you and yes there will be some live streaming pictures of the main event uh, towards uh, the it's a friday saturday race remember um over there so friday and saturday um and we'll get you all of the details or if you'd like to find out actually just go to www.24hseries.com you're already looking forward to that aren't you oh, i'm really excited um, it's really developed that event, hasn't it, it? It has. It's massive. Look at the drivers that we've got there. Look at the cars, the the the, the teams, the WRT team. I mean, you we've know, mentioned somebody tonight. GT3 team. Go we've on. mentioned somebody tonight in a yes. different role who yes. was a driver who won yes, one of the first o- 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 first iterations of that. Uh-huh. And it was Toto Wolf. Toto Wolf drove a BMW. BMW. Yes. To and victory. He won the first Dubai 24 hours. And with no disrespect at all to Toto, don't you think that shows how? The, uh, that event has moved on. Well, the car that won that race was a BMW M3 saloon car. Yeah. And albeit it was probably a five or 600 brake horsepower BMW M3 based, uh, very, very well developed saloon car. But yes, it's it's grown in stature. But then, so has the 24-hour endurance series it, itself. It's now an FIA championship. It is attracting some very, very good teams. And don't you think the Dubai race is this this event that kicks off the season. Yeah, that was a Dulla Motorsport BMW M3 E46 GTR with Har... Have a a look who he was in with. He was in with... Toto Wolf was driving. Nobody would have known who Toto Wolf... They would have gone, uh, Dieter Dequesta. Yeah, yeah, for touring car driver. Yeah, absolutely. You picture, fantastic. Hans Joachim. Oh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. we know everything. Everything. Legend. Philip Peter. Yeah, yeah, we know him. Yeah, legends. And who's this Toto Wolf, Gadgie? Toto Wolf? Isn't he in The Wizard of Oz? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Interestingly, uh, Kenneth Hedberg was in the second car. The second car was um, Swedish-entered 996 GT3. And third was AC Bratislava in a Porsche GT3. Now, that team still exists. That's a cup car, though. That that Porsche GT3. Was a cup car. a Porsche cup car. Um, With Mauro Casadei at the wheel... Now, Miro Konopka and Maru Kasadai are, I believe, still involved in AC Bratislava. That car was, I think, Bratislava, AC Bratislava this year, ran a, um, was a, a Ferrari at Brno, but it was actually run for them by Scuderia Praha. Oh, I st- <laughs> bow to your 
about but, your memory. Is he uh, Bratislava still um, still exist and are still uh, racing from Slovakia? Those yes, exactly, exactly. Um, it, that was a Red Bull sponsored. A BMW that won that, that first. Picture? Was that uh, sorry? I the thought that was going to be a picture of the 2006. Yeah. Um, it is. That, yeah, is yeah. that a picture of? Yeah, they were Red Bull sponsored. It was the 31 car. It was one of the the the, the two door GTRs with the big V8, um, with the and, five litre V8 in it. And if you look at the field, they're predominantly GT3 Porsches and um, well Cup developed cars. BMW um, saloon cars. And if you'd see where that's now moved on to and the I sort of field I'm that we're right, going to have. I think I'm right in saying that nothing other than a German manufacturer has won that. That's um, a question. There is a question. I, I'll have to say that's a bit of work to do yeah, on the flight yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's the final episode of Series 11. So that's to look forward to in a couple of weeks time uh, next week at eight o'clock usual time uh, technology allowing we'll be talking to marshall pruitt and Shay adam and looking back at the imsa series series uh, multiple uh, from 2016 obviously taking in uh, an extensive look at the imsa weather tech championship the continental tie sports car challenge but also some of the support series that have wowed us with the entertainment uh, MP and Shea joining us joining me at least next week for that usual time 8 o'clock um, that doesn't count as our first of series 12 it does it Tim no. because that's a review programme and it's an IMSA programme yes good point so that means that our broadcast uh, in whatever format it is from Dubai will kick off series 12 on the that will be the 11th of January is that right yes yes right okay Some, that's all good January the 11th yeah is a Wednesday yep okay that's all good uh, so the Hankook 24 hours of Dubai kicking off the series although we will have some coverage before that although it won't be live it'll be uh, the reportage from the Raw Before, the Rolex 24, and that will be uh, next week. Is that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or is that Friday, Saturday, Sunday? It's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Right, It'll be okay. at 10 p.m. each evening. 10 p.m. UK time. 10 p.m. UK time That's each uh, evening. That's 5 o'clock on the East Coast, and that is going to be 2 o'clock in the afternoon on the West Coast. So uh, we'll have... Uh, Shea Adam uh, at the Daytona International Speedway as the Raw before the 24, the test before the Rolex uh, 24, which again will have uh, full exclusive full trackside coverage of for you um, from last week in January. Seems as though January doesn't really let up very much. Now a lot of motor racing in January. Uh, I got a tweet from Mark Harrison who says, mm-hmm. "In 2017, can we have news in Chinese? News in Spanish is just too easy for them now." Yeah, that Clearly. is true. We've that been, true. we have been swatting, uh, we have been swatting up on that. Well, you've I'm been getting less bilingual, haven't piece. you? Yeah. Well, no, you see, Shea. Um, no, Shea doesn't speak Spanish. She, she speaks, she speaks Miami. Yeah, exactly. She she does Scandinavian, uh, Scandinavian, Scandinavian South American Spanish. Spanish. <laughs> El enano es muy pequeño y mucho habla. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Indeed. The dwarf That's is very, very small very and has good. a lot to say. 
<laughs> yeah, basically, that's a, that's a translation. Yeah. Midweek motorsport. And if you thought that hour was packed with insights and comments, wait till you hear what's next. Yeah, no, nothing of that nature coming up in the second hour, just after nine o'clock here. It's the 28th of December. Hello there. It's the final episode of Series 11 of Midweek Motorsport. We do our series on the years rather than the uh, motorsport season. Motorsport year round now. And uh, we'll have more from Joe Bradley in the second hour. Keep your tweets coming in to at Spectatainment and at Rachel Lamont. And, of course, we'll be uh, bringing in Marshall Pruitt for hopefully some sensible chat. He'll bring it back down to earth. That's all still to come in hour number two. Shit, Adam, I've upset her now. Speak the Spanish that's spoken in 20 countries. <laughs> yes, but not the one that's called Spain, shit. Well, she is American, remember. You have look to let it done, lie. Look what they've done to English. Let, let it lie. It's let all it all lie, about shit. Quantity over Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Oh, dear. She needs to leave that lie. Uh, let's do this. Ooh. It's the quiz and of the week. From Norwich. It's the quiz of the week. This week's prizes include this sailing dinghy, which we hope will be to your liking. It's 12 feet long with a fiberglass hull and built-in buoyancy tanks. But now, let's meet the man with the questions of the money, Nicholas Parsons. We need to dub that out and have it sit in play. Yeah. We really do. Uh, we also need to change it so that it's not the uh, sailing dinghy. The single the, dinghy uh, every week. Uh, with uh, the buoyancy tanks. They, uh, well, I'd hope. You'd really hope, wouldn't you? Built-in um, buoyancy tanks. Not we just have got m- any buoyancy tanks. No, no, Marshall in. Pruitt going to join in. Marshall Pruitt of Racer.com is with us. Good evening, Marshall. Good evening, Marshall. Oh, you see, that just makes me feel good. Did you have a nice Christmas? I did, and I haven't let it stop, so no, it's right. still ongoing. I like it. Christmas good. and birthday as well. You had a birthday pretty close to Christmas. Now, does that, as somebody who has a birthday in October... I, I it's always a bit you started getting a bit close to Christmas and potentially having joint presents. You were much closer to Christmas. Do you do you suffer or benefit from having your birthday close to Christmas? Well, I benefit because I'm married to the most amazing woman in my world, uh, and I believe everyone else's. Uh, now she takes amazing care of me. Uh, she does obviously note that. It is a little bit strange having to buy birthday gifts and Christmas gifts uh, within three weeks span of one another, but uh, she usually asks me to supply a list of things that I would thoroughly enjoy, and then I just leave it up to her, obviously, to pick and choose what arrives when, and uh, some might have seen a one-twelfth scale Porsche 956 uh, showed up for my birthday, which I'm still trying to recover from. Now, that uh, don't tell me a one one scale Porsche 956 turned up for Christmas. Even better, Derek <laughs> Bell moved in. So yeah, <laughs> he's in the cellar. <laughs> yeah, uh, Marino's very jealous, but no. 
Excellent. Uh, of the 2016 24 Hours of Le Mans, 24 Hour of Le Mans annual showed up for uh, uh, Christmas. So, yeah, I mean, look, uh, just... Uh, we all know that the, uh, the our our loved ones and spouses that support us in this nomadic and fre- uh, frenetic life that we lead in motor racing, uh, when they know you love what you do and they help feed you the things that uh, add that extra smile and, and keep you motivated, I mean, this just blessings upon blessings, brother. You, you have, though, Marshall. You do have to tell your family just what books you really need rather than just let them go out there to the discount stores and pick up a, a book with a car in it yes because the big book of cars uh, yeah it's, it's like oh great wonderful the big yeah. book of cars volume 2 that'll keep the wardrobe from falling over the big book <laughs> yes. of racing cars so what books did you what books no, did you hang get? on I've got to say um, something that didn't make Eve's Christmas list, list because it came in too late but thank you very much indeed Andrew Cotton I got the Haynes manual for the Lotus 79, 79. No, wow. Yes. And and Andrew I think that's has done before a, printing, you know. Uh Andrew Cotton has done a splendid job. And I'm gonna unfortunately, Joe Bradley, I'm gonna out you here. Oh please. Not don't. for your sexuality, because I think everybody no, knows no. that. Okay. But but for your light fingeredness with other people's property. It's never safe. lend Joe it's safe. never let Joe They're borrow all safe. anything. I lent Joe a first edition copy of A French Kiss with Death that I was given by its author as a thank you for proofreading. Only Michael 15 Kaiser. years ago, John. <laughs> yes, I know, and I've never seen it years. since. So it's 15 years a month between I'm going to have to keep an eye on that Lotus 79 book, or otherwise it'll you go will, because it's the only one I haven't got. That's why <laughs> I think it's... There's a Brabham BT-52 owner's manual that I have my eye on. Got it. It's good. It's worth it. Worth it's, it. I was shocked when I saw... I came into Hindoff's um, front room today. And drawing I, room. It was love. like draw, the drawing room, as, as we call and it. And on top and, of the engine. And there, it was like, hang on, that's the Lotus 79. I'm quite sure. I, I've got the Lotus 72 book. I've got the Lotus 98T book. I didn't know there was a Lotus 79 book. What, what am I doing here? And some of my favourite people in the world have put those together. Yeah. Because Andrew Cotton, who, for those that don't know, he has been on Radio Le Mans before. He's played Call um, My Huff. He has played Call My Huff, and he's uh, been on some of our live broadcasts. He's also the editor of Race Car Engineering. Um, his dad um, has also, Michael, has also written oh. some of those, and he is awesome. Can on. we tell that story about Las Vegas with no. Michael Cohn? No. Uh, with Booth. It was Andrew. We don't Andrew have Cohn. time. No, there's no, no time for that. And I think the statute of limitations hasn't quite run out on okay, some of those okay. offences. Right. Okay. Um, and uh, I'm trying to think. You've, you've, you should never stop me in the middle of a sentence. Cause now <laughs> you've made me forget the other person who did. Ian Wagstaff. Ian Wagstaff yes. did the Lotus. Yeah. Did a couple of Lotus ones. Yes. Uh, all very, very lovely people. And who did those as not only an historical record but also yeah as a labor of love well maybe we could complete the race car engineering uh workshop manual trifecta and have our boy sam collins do one on an obscure south african formula v or something (laughs) like that Uh, that would be uh that'd be perfect or uh, cars that don't have built but never raced that would be a sam collins one wouldn't it i got the the can-am 50th anniversary book marshall have you seen that you know one of the many reasons i love my colleague robin miller he often sends 
Christmas parcels and says, don't open them, and if you send me anything, I'll kill you, and I remind him he's half my size and old. Um, he sent me Can-Am, 50th anniversary book oh. by uh, Pete Byro, yeah. and it, also, and this one looks fascinating, I've, I've seen it, I've just never purchased it, but now I have it, Blood and Smoke, Ooh. a true tale of mystery, mayhem, and the birth of the Indy 500. Interestingly as well, if we go back to the start of this year, we have Brian Redman filling some time at Sebring. He happened to be around, he stuck his head in, and we dragged him in. Time speaking to Brian Redman is never time wasted. And we had a long chat about Brian, and he talked about the danger years of Formula One. And in fact, he had a book out about that that he'd just uh, redone. And had it. That's been yeah. that's been voted by I think by the BRDC it's some, it's won as, some award, as it? the book of the book of the year, um, and that was certainly um, that's a, a book that's certainly worth seeking seeking out. Anyway, sorry, we're supposed to be playing Deal of the Century, ten past nine here in the UK. Tim, what excitement do you have for us? Is it a book sale by any chance? Is that it's not a book sale? Is that time uh, just after Christmas where uh, the internet auction sites are filled with all the motorsport-related tat that people <laughs> no longer want? Well, uh, not just motorsport-related, but yes, go ahead. We're only interested in the motorsports-related ones. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to start you off with a set of ten. Uh, 2013 vintage Force India wheel nuts. Ooh. Ooh. So is, is, is pounds or dollars? Set of 10, and we'll go in pounds, please. Right, UK pounds. Okay, I'll, st- I'll start this off. Set of... Uh, set of 10. Uh, from 2013. From 2013, Force India. Um, I think £100. Joe Bradley. Is this what I would pay for them, or what's no, what, no, what, what they, you what, think what they're, up for? they're selling right, for? Well, probably worth about 47p but um, somebody would probably have paid I'll go 200 pounds just to be pounds. Marshall Pruitt I'll say 325 because people are silly and it's not like yeah. I've ever done that with my motor racing parts <laughs> on the internet myself <laughs> and who's closest then? Uh, John is closest because you can get all 10 for just 34.99 wow Wow, that's a nice set of paperweights for you, mate. That's exactly what hand they like, yeah. Keep your tent down. Yeah, keep absolutely. Your, keep your ground sheet down, wouldn't it? The next item is a Force India wheel nut office desk organiser, uh, which basically <laughs> appears to be one of the uh, wheel nuts as described above, with a bit of black felt on the bottom. Right, OK, so given that the ten of them went for 34 quid, Joe, one of them has gone for... A tenner. Ten pounds, yeah. says Joe Bradley. Marshall? I'll go nine. Oh, you see. That's got felt on the bottom, I'm, though. I'm going to say 20 quid. Once again, John is closest. 34.95. It went yeah, for out it's out. <laughs> One that had, had a bit 10. of work done on it, you see. Buy but ten. I'm going to buy ten, put some felt on the bottom of them and sell them for 30 quid apiece. Yeah. You could also not put the felt on the bottom and sell it as a uh, Force India wheel nut paperweight. Uh, they're currently going for 26 pounds. Wow. How bizarre. Uh, the next item, uh, one for the gentleman, uh, the Pirelli <laughs> calendar. Oh, from which year? 2011. Oh, 2011. 2011 calendar. But the, so these are the very arty. Old. Very arty, these. Nobody um, buys them to know what day of the week it is. That's true. No, indeed. Marshall? I think that was the nude celebrity pets year. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> 
If it goes for more than five, I will be thoroughly disappointed. John? Um, 85 pounds. 85, okay. I'm, I'm gonna, and well, Joe? I, I know what you're thinking is. You're thinking it's ver- they're very rare now. It's 2011. Where yeah. are you going to find one? Yeah. So I'm going to go 37 pounds. Which really makes me struggle with the maths. Uh, Marshall is the closest. Oh. Well done, MP. Uh, it was £19. Oh, okay. Extensive prices right experience. Yeah, you so, see, yeah. you're there. You're there. Closest without going over. Uh, next, we have uh, something you can put around your neck. Right. A tie? It's, uh, no, it's a paddock club pass. Formula right. 1 paddock club pass. For Friday only <laughs> of the 2012 British Grand Prix. 2012. Signed by anybody? Any no. other this prominence? Is, this, this is just the bit of plastic with the lanyard. Right. Whose turn is it to go first? Me again, isn't it now? Yes. Um, £15. £15. Joe? Ten. £10. Marshall, what would you pay for a Friday only paddock club pass for a uh, Formula 1 race from five years ago? Get it's not what I would pay. It's what I think people are stupid yes. enough to there pay you for. Yeah. I am I am one of those people. Uh, I think someone would be crazy enough to spend fifty on that to feel special. <laughs> you only buy that if you want to look special. You don't hang that on the on a doorknob. You walk around a party with that, trying to get. <laughs> if you're that kind of of bleepity bleep, I, I think we're in the fifty range. But okay. we'll see if I'm extremely wrong. And it's another point for Marshall. Oh, £35. No. no way. Yeah. How much is all of those passes that I've got? Where are any BTCC passes on there? <laughs> We're millionaires and didn't know it, boys. Yeah. Unbelievable. Next, very similar item. This is mm-hmm. a Sunday-only pass for the 2011 Spanish Grand Prix. George, you to start. Well, with it being Spanish, it's a little bit more exotic, isn't it? So yes. £27. <laughs> Marshall? I'll go 40 Forty. I don't think it's one of the classic ones like Silverstone or Monaco or something like that. I'm it's Barcelona. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go for twenty pounds. Twenty pounds. Joe gets the point that time. What was it? Ooh. Thirty pounds. Wow. Hey, I know my retro passes. <laughs> That's you I was the wanting, <laughs> I was hoping for a Tuesday Ledoux uh, Michelin <laughs> BOP test uh, parka. Yes. So it's oh. two to Marshall, two to me, one to Joe. How many yes. have we got left? Got a couple left? Uh, got a couple left, yeah. Right, come on then, next one. Next is a Williams race suit chair. This is a chair what? which has been upholstered with a Williams Formula 1 race suit. Presumably not with the driver still in it. It's not even no, a driver's a race suit. It's a pit crew race suit. All yeah. oh, right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jacques Lafitte will show up for a thousand pounds and sit in it. Uh, <laughs> wear it so you can sit on Jacques Lafitte. What year? Amazing. Uh, I think it's quite uh, recent because it's got the martini livery and it right. has uh, okay. Banco de Brazil as well. Right, okay. Marshall, a chair upholstered uh, with. A... Do you want to know more about this chair? No, I, I, really. I would describe no, no, it as a Chesterfield style. Oh really? Oh, really? Yes. Just a single chair. Yes. All right. So not like an office chair. Then not it's an office a, chair. No, this is a, a, a this classic is a chair to sit in. Right. Okay. And relax so with your I'm this. I'm curious on the approach to take because it's either something horrifically executed that someone's hoping to to cash in on, 
or it's actually done well trying to appeal to maybe a Lance Stroll looking to mm. outfit his his new yeah. apartment uh, <laughs> or his new flat. So I'll say 400. Ooh, 400. Uh, 250 from Hindoff. Joe? 3,000 pounds. Joe is wow. closest. That, who is? Joe. You, Norway. How much? Two thousand six hundred ninety-six pounds and twenty-five pence. Yep, I've got one. <laughs> I paid thirty-two hundred quid for mine. <laughs> I'm a little bit disappointed. I've got to say. <laughs> Hang on, we've got some old Radio Le Mans race suits that we could upholster stuff in. Oh, I need to get busy building crap in the garage as soon as we're done here. Absolutely. Right, well, this this is the decider, then. Joe on two, Marshall on two, me on two. One more Ooh. for the decider. And it is, Tim, what? It's a set of five F1 coffee mugs. Well, made out of, when you say F1 coffee mugs, description, please. Uh, these are is it the stand, Midland, standard Is it the Midland mugs. F1 collection? They're we, made uh... of porcelain and decorated oh. with the uh, images of different Formula 1 cars. There is one Ferrari, one Mercedes... One Red Bull, one Renault, and one Haas, all from the 2016 season. And then, are these official F1 merchandise? I would not have thought so. <laughs> well, let me ask this. Where is this being shipped from? From the mm. UK. From the UK? Oh! All right, okay. George, you to start. Oh, really? Is it really? Oh, that is probably worth about £3.50, but I'm going to go £25. £25 from Joe Marshall? 79. Ooh. How many did you say, Tim? It's a set of five. 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 Which is a very odd quid. number for uh, a set of mugs, isn't it? You wouldn't buy five yeah. of any. It's a metric set. It's, it's ten teams as half well. A decim- half a decimal ten. Um, 50 quid. 50, 50 quid, quid, I'm going. Yeah. Uh, the winner of this round and of the quiz tonight is Joe Bradley. Yes! Oh! Came oh. from behind, saved his tyres, used them when he needed <laughs> How to. How much were the mugs then? £24. <laughs> ah, it's oh. on the nose, he'd say. He's not competitive, though. Yeah, it's not It's not a competition. It is everything. It's, it's not if I don't win. Everything's Remember a competition. That. You got beat there, I well, had you too, he knows his drinking. he knows his drinking devices. He does. Should have factored that in. We should have. Well, he used to be a policeman. All he used to do What's was sit around and drink tea and coffee. And purchase. And look at stuff on the internet. Rubbish. Sport memorabilia. MP, how are you this evening? I'm well, brother. Uh, you know, it's it's a weird week of coming off of uh, Christmas for those of us mm. who celebrate Christmas and heading into the new year, which I think every just about everybody celebrates or a por- major portion of the planet. So in that middle section of the week where work is work and trying to reject my body telling me to run away and not work. So uh, all kinds of good <laughs> stuff, though, brother. All, yeah, all kinds of good stuff. Let's uh, let's go back a little bit before we start looking at the, uh, the, the newish news coming in and uh, go back a week or so, uh, a little bit more than that, to the Daytona test um, and a little bit of a, a wrap-up from you on, on what we saw there. Obviously, a lot of new DPIs there, a lot of new DPIs making new noises uh, out on the high banks of the Daytona International Speedway. Yeah, that was uh, that was thoroughly enjoyable and spoke uh, spoke about that with our, our friend Shea Adam in our uh, IMSA season review and uh, mild preview, but yeah, it was great to hear the Mazda in particular 
still using a uh, four-cylinder inline turbo wasn't the loudest thing, nor are most four-cylinder turbos unless they are extremely powerful and running lots of boost. So as we found the last season, not a lot of noise from them, uh, but to be expected. This year, with the exhaust reconfigured, we definitely have more noise. So that was that was a nice revelation right off the bat. The Mazda's louder, can hear it more, so that's a good thing. One thing that was interesting on the Cadillac front is had heard, wow, it sounds amazing. It, too, has new, uh, new exhaust routing on top of the uh, engine cover instead of out from the sides with the old Corvette Daytona prototype. Uh, also 700 cc's larger, 6.2 liter V8 monster, um, and had heard that it sounds amazing and it's just unlike everything and so on and so forth. And I didn't hear much difference at all. It sounded gr- <laughs> the same awesome it always has. Um, but uh, yeah, so still enjoyed it. Just didn't hear that much difference from it, but I did enjoy hearing the uh, new Lexus, for example. It, it, you can uh, Lexus GTD car. Mm-hmm. You can tell for sure what it is when it goes by. It has a little bit of a muffled sound to it that is strange because it's not a turbo. Uh, you could the Mercedes AMGs. <laughs> those are gorgeous to look at and gorgeous to hear. Um, great sounds. Uh, the visuals of the cars were impressive, almost all. There, there was one P2 car that I really found was visually underwhelming, but it was about the only one of the test of any car in any class that I thought uh, left some uh, something on the visual appeal plate. But everything else, Heidi, great to see the cars moving. Haven't written about this yet. I've been sitting on it for a while, and if someone else has, it just means I didn't catch it, but... Beyond uh, the sounds and the colors and the newness uh, on the DPI front, there's more speed to come. Yeah. And so you would, you know, I think the natural reaction would be, well, their new cars, of course, are going to develop them more and they'll go faster. True, but that's actually not what I'm referring to. Uh, We'll get into this maybe a little bit deeper as as we get closer to the race, but uh, very briefly, and I'm going to write about this more in, uh, in depth next week. Uh, IMSA is using the WEC spec P2 cars as their benchmark for the DPI class. And specifically right. on the engine front, engine power front, they're using the Gibson V8 as the bar of reference for power for the class. So that means wherever the Gibson V8 uh, WEC P2 engine happens to be on power and torque, mostly power, uh, but on its acceleration curves, that is where they're going to adjust the entire DP field to that number. Uh, had heard and then had confirmed from a, a few people uh, who would know uh, and make these decisions that there had been a request that came through from uh, the supplier of those spec P2 engines to say, hey, starting off with the 24-hour race, reliability is obviously something we want to uh, make sure happens. Would it be okay if we took some revs mm-hmm. away? Would it be okay if we took some revolutions per minute away, lower the revs, greater likelihood, further ensure hopefully 100% reliability during this big opening race? Yes, not a problem. We can do that. The uh, decision to do that also took power away, yeah. and not just a little bit, but more than expected. Well, 
What's the knock-on effect, then, if that motor is the bar of reference for the class? Well, it means that the other DPIs, or that the DPI uh, power figures, are brought down as well. So that's why, although we saw some quick lap times, not record, sh- not super record-shattering, but saw some quick lap times during the mid-December test, great. Saw some impressive top speeds, great, but not the staggering numbers, lap time or top speed-wise. And uh, again, was, was told by multiple uh, people in the know that this is not because the DPIs can't, it's because the bar of reference has been turned down for this opening race. So I think by the time we get to Sebring, get some of the other events where we're not talking about dialing things down, we're going to see bigger, angrier beasts. So mm. just a little bit of a context. I know we're all hoping to see 3,000 miles an hour on the straights and 17-second lap times and just insane new numbers from the new cars. Mm. We, we're we going to get to see those impressive things. I just don't know if Daytona is a place where it's going to happen. What sort of Henry do you think we're going to get? This We're dribbling bits and pieces coming out now. Alex Job... Uh, announcing a, a an endurance series that's the series within the WeatherTech championship uh, my favorite as you know yes absolutely and you know that obviously means you know great to see Alex and the team back lovely looking cars they've gone with uh, uh, some Audi power there for them this year which is fantastic um, um, but what what's your feeling in terms of entry for Rolex and then potentially a full season entry for for WeatherTech because Rolex is going to stand alone we're going to see the odd wild card and of course the Tequila Patron North American Endurance Cup entries but things should settle down after Sebring but what what's your feelings Hello MP Sorry, my microphone wasn't being my friend there. No, no worries. Uh, you panicked I, me, though. <laughs> it's start. it's paper, paper minute on my uh, internet here. I start uh, hitting buttons like a drowning man doggy paddling when things happen like that. It still scares me. Go on, sorry. So what's your feelings on the numbers? I think we're going to be in good shape, Andy. I think with a lot of the new entries coming in, the factory efforts from Acura, mm. Lexus, and so on, are going to bolster things in GTD. We've had, you know, we're going to see growth in GTD. We've known that. No big surprise. Uh, I think we're going to end up above the, definitely above the full season count that we had in prototype. Keep in mind there have been some losses. We've traded one Shank Liger in prototype for two Shank. Uh, Acuras, for example, in GTD. Uh, so there, we've lost a Delta Wing. Yeah. Um, so again, there's a little bit of, of horse trading in terms of things moving around compared to just true brand new entries, uh, as many brand new entries as we want. But I think full season we're going to be good. I think prototype Daytona, challenge looks a little yeah. Thin. That, that was that's that's exactly where I was headed. You knew where I was headed with that. From what I've heard, uh, for those fans of the Areca FLM09 Chevrolet, the uh, cars that comprise the prototype challenge class, if you love them, uh, just have fond memories of seeing lots of them competing hard at the Rolex 24. Everything I have been told uh, is that we are going to see a fairly low car count for the Rolex 24. uh, For that class. For that class and for um, 
I've also heard, haven't seen it, but I've just heard that uh, we're going to get a real inkling of the PC class uh, once we get to the Roar. Meaning, yeah. uh, I think when we get to the Roar, we haven't seen that entry list, but just in talking with teams and also knowing that we have a number of teams, which is a good thing. It's, it's another good uh, conversation for us to have at another time. We've had a number of PC teams, PR1 Matheson, JDC, say, hey, let's buy a new prototype and go up and run mm-hmm. in the big class. And I guess you could say graduate from PC. Now, could we see, you know, Peter Barron, for example, is still wanting to do that. Um, so how many teams will graduate? Mm. Um, interesting to see. Is that core, for example? Hey, we're not going to go up to prototype, but we are going to uh, jump down to GTD and a Porsche. So you've seen a number of the stalwarts, the absolute bedrock of of the PC class, move on to other things, and that has left not too many uh, to represent the class. So the bar ones and a few others, how many are still going to mm-hmm. be there for a full season? Can't exactly say yet but I don't think we're going to see many. Again, opens up a whole other conversation, which I think would be a really good show for us to do about. Mm-hmm. Where does this go? We know that IMSA is starting, uh, also at the same time, starting their LMP3 class, uh, which is meant to replace PC that goes away at the end of 2017. It'll be a, in its uh, standalone class, uh, or I'm sorry, standalone series, uh, what was the uh, IMSA lights previously. But Interesting. So, yeah, IMSA's goal at the end of 2017 is to drop down to three classes. So we're just talking pure numbers. I think we're going to see at the Rolex 24 in the rest of this season a pretty close model of 2018 car number-wise mm-hmm. because, for the most part, that PC class is getting close to turned off uh, during its final season. Yeah, it's a shame um, that it's going to... It seems like it's going to go out with a, a whimper rather than a, a raw, but it's yeah. it's often an issue, isn't it, when you've got a lame duck class. It's, everybody knows that it's it's going to go away. And, you know, if, here's the, um, here's it's a problem another... for a team, isn't it? If you want to get in and do something else, you kind of want to do it as soon as you can. Well, that, and think about the PC owners who haven't transitioned up or down or sideways or whatever, but for think of the PC owners, a limited number of PC owners left who've said, no, I'm sticking with this class for 2017. You hope that they are having a prosperous time because they're receiving, you know, they're now instead of one of seven options or eight options, you know, the performance techs of the world. Now they're one of a much smaller group. So hopefully those who are interested are coming to them, spending good money. Everything's fantastic. But at the same time, uh, A, you worry a little bit about uh, will they be able to make that transition? Where are they going to go at the end of the year? But also second, uh, and maybe this, this is definitely far less important, I guess, but one of the fun things, as you know, Heidi, at the Rolex 24, is the good folks we see walking up and down pit lane. Yeah. Those drivers who are looking for opportunities. What has been the class since IMSA uh, was launched in 2014 where the majority of them land and happen to find a place? That's PC. Well, yeah. if there aren't that many cars, some of our dear friends who are looking for work and we know can go win a race for somebody, uh, we're... We're probably going to see the unemployment line yeah. end up being a lot shorter because they know that there are no, no real job availabilities. Mm-hmm. Or you have 20 guys now fighting for that one opportunity instead of three. Mm, it's a good point. It's a good point, and we'll find out sooner rather than later because uh, it's only next week, of course. This time next week, people will be arriving uh, at 
Daytona for the Raw before the Rolex 24. Uh, Shea Adam there for IMSA Radio. And you'll be hearing her reports on uh, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we said, Tim, didn't we? Uh, for that. Yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, next week. Uh, next week's midweek motorsports. If we can get the technology to work, will be Marshall, Shea and me discussing that uh, season that has just passed. Um, interesting to me, MP, uh, that both of our um, major sports car rules makers at the moment, being the ACO stroke FIA and IMSA, um, both announcing different takes on their own rules or different directions that the rules or interpretation thereof are taking. ACO with a whole bunch of potential waivers for prototype manufacturers coming into the top class which always smacks to me of a bit of desperation or people who don't understand rules and I, I really feel for Vincent Beaumanil because he's been put under a lot of pressure with the what can only be described as the uh, GTE debacle uh, of last year and the uh, balance of performance every five minutes through every race it would seem um, over at IMSA slightly different attitude being looked at and effectively a unilateral homologation for IMSA that is particular to IMSA and it's almost like IMSA striking out on their own here How how's that working and what has Mark Raffoff been saying about it A I love it when we talk about what IMSA is doing mm-hmm. uh, it's, a, it's long overdue and I think it also speaks timing-wise to the fact that they have launched their first dedicated formula. I realize that the Daytona Prototype Internationals are based off of a common four-chassis option uh, P2 solution derived with the ACO and FIA. And, you know, IMSA was part of that three-way uh, formation of it. But I love the fact that IMSA has said, we're going to take this base formula we've agreed on and go in our own direction with it. And I think, and it's the first, again, first time since IMSA launched uh, in relaunched in 2014. I think part of that mindset was, well, okay, great. So this is ours. And yeah, we'll, we've chronicled Heidi uh, many instances, uh, many episodes of how the ACO, FI, and IMSA were not uh, doing well uh, when it tr- comes to deciding on DPI rules, regulations, what's legal, what's not. There was a bit of a separation uh, on the IMSA side to say, Okay, well, again, if, if our cars aren't allowed at Le Mans, then what are we fighting over here in terms of us trying to fit into a box to comply with you guys? So if a Cadillac DPI VR Mazda RT24P Nissan Enrogue DPI are not eligible to compete at Le Mans, then why would we go with your electronics package or your whatever else? I understand so, that for the prototypes to a point. But also, Both. isn't there a danger here, MP, that in doing that, you're just adding costs for anybody who doesn't buy an specific class? Well, we have a um, we have an interesting dynamic. I think emboldened by this process of going through this for the first time with IMSA, the modern IMSA's first and original formula, uh, they've decided, you know what? we've maybe done too much inheriting of other people's junk. Oh, so your GT3 car was homologated 
in this year by these people and it got a waiver that was grandfathered through pick whatever it is blanc or this or this is some sort of elms derived approved thing for your p2 car whatever uh and this is all just supposed to be lumped in and we're supposed to swallow all of this keep track of it even if all your the records coming in with this car that are bundled together aren't necessarily straight. Uh, I think of a lot of it like used car dealer. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to buy a used car and the person is saying, all right, this is the amount. It's not cheap. We don't really have many records. you got to take our word on a lot of stuff. And once you buy it, you can't complain. You'd run. You'd turn around and run. Well, when you have cars turning up that have been homologated, somewhere else and then had modifications waivers allowances whatever bundled in that are all part of this kind of global approval and you're told that this is what you need to accept because the big master sports car sanctioning body says that this is what it should be i i don't know if that would sit well with me uh, either so what imsa has done for those um uh, who haven't had a chance to look at it in depth, they have created their own technical dossier for each car. Uh, technical certificate is what they call it. And even if you have a brand new car that was just homologated by the FIA, ACO, whomever, uh, they want you to supply everything. All, not just the documents you sent to the ACO, FIA, or whomever, but everything. And then IMSA has its own layer of benchmarking as well. Wind tunnel engine dyno just a lot of stuff the the restrictors air restrictors for the car great send us every not only what you have but we want the cad drawings we want Mm. the everything we want the flow numbers we're going to look through everything and then tell you what is okay to use in our series Mm. we're no longer accepting your stamped visa for, for this car from another series that says However it shows up is more or less okay. I love that. And if we talk about could it add costs, yeah, you know, we don't do this because it's cheap, but I do like the idea of a sanctioning body that does a lot of inheriting and running and sanctioning cars that come in from wherever else saying, you know, we need to actually create our own standard reference. Yeah, but they're not, Marshall, and that's my issue with this. If If they were being brave enough to do that... I would have no problem with this. This is a halfway house that doesn't suit anybody, in my mind. If IMSA want to have their own homologation, have the cojones to go out and create it. Don't say we're going to have GT3 cars. Oh, but guess what? They're not actually going to be GT3 cars. They're going to be IMSA GTDs. And therefore, we're going to start changing things. This is a rocky road for IMSA, and I think they're going in completely the wrong direction because we've seen them do this before and have IMSA-specific cars. Surely the whole point of complying to a global formula, whether that's LMP2, whether that's GTE, and don't forget those some of those teams want to go to Le Mans with that car and benchmark that car and race it at Le Mans. Then if you go to Le Mans and find you've got to change the car six ways north of Saturday, then why why would you do that? And why, then, if you're a European or a global team who has one of these global formula cars, particularly in GT3, I, th- I have less problems with the prototypes. Um, 
slightly less problems with GTEs. But when you've got GT3 that is a worldwide phenomenon, why why do IMSA feel the need to get involved in that? You're adding a layer of cost and complexity that, frankly, all you're going to do is muddy the waters. Yeah, I can, I disagree 100%. Uh, if I am being handed someone else's homework... Well, then don't do it. Have the have the cojones to write your own set of regulations and say, we're not having GT3, we're having our own GT class. But they don't want to do that because they can't. No, no, this, I, I don't really It's the worst the... of all worlds, surely. No, not, not in any way, shape or form. And I don't understand the cojones comments because if they didn't have the cojones, they would just lay down and do what they've been doing, accepting whatever shows up, being told that, nope, this is FIA certified, ACO certified, whatever else certified, you need to run it. That's laying down. That's having no cojones. Having cojones is saying, we're no longer going to accept what other people tell us is legal or should be allowed or is okay, or you got to waiver the Lamborghini example at Daytona last year, I think is what triggered this whole thing. That was being, just cheating. Uh, but the further you dug into the documentation trail, come to find that this was actually allowed by someone. The paperwork was not particularly complete, but this did sneak in through someone else's certification process, even though it did not, IMSA did not have its own truly robust system to check everything and confirm what it would or would not accept with each car. A lot of things falling under blanket acceptance from other places. How's this? I would expect the ACO or FIA to do this exact thing to any cars showing up from IMSA. Wait a minute. Just because these guys in Daytona Beach said this thing is okay, uh, we have our own series. It's completely different. It's completely different. IMSA are a national series working in a national situation. And everything that IMSA have done in the past to ensure the competitiveness and the successfulness of their series, I completely agree with. But why do you take an, a globally accepted series, a globally accepted formula, excuse me, like GT3, and I'll take that in particular, and then start messing about with it? If you want to have a secondary GT class, what? Are you telling me that the people at IMSA can't write themselves a set of technical, technical regulations? That they've got to piggyback on someone else's and then fiddle about with it? I, that's what I mean about them not having the cojones. If they want to have a different series, have a different series. Write your DPI regs. Great. No problem yeah. with that. But don't take an FIA series and then bring that into your series so that you get the benefit of being a global series and then say it's not good enough and we want to do it our way. Nah, sorry. That is not being brave. That's not even being clever. I don't even I don't even think it's very helpful because all you're doing then is cheesing off anybody who's got a global Formula GT3 car because they'll not want to come for your big events. Well, A, we've seen that GT3 last year and this year apparently in IMSA will be its biggest and most thriving class with greater subscription mm. than ever. So this process is this process is brand new. So this theoretical failure and calamity and lack of cojones and everything else you're referencing, if true, you would think would cheese off all these people and run people too off. late now, though, because they've already announced and this has only been announced in the last few weeks, which also, I, I think, is a lack of skillful 
Do, do we think? I don't think that the people at IMSA Technical are stupid people. I don't think that they can't write their own regulations. Well, so why are they doing this halfway house? It's different than actually being in place. Announced is one thing. Telling people, telling the public that something is happening is a lot different than the timeline where it actually started and happened. IMSA clearly mm. didn't decide to start doing technical certificates in early December because there's no way they would get them done in time to even start the season. So pe- people had plenty of time. Manufacturers had plenty of time. Teams had plenty of time to decide, nope, we're opting out. This is crazy. This is too far off base. Clearly they haven't, which tells me that if this is truly the calamity uh, that you believe it is, we there would have been plenty of time for a response. There hasn't been. If, if anything... GTD is the one raging success IMSA can claim so far. IMSA can't claim it as a success. It's GT3 that's the success, not GTD. IMSA just adopted those regulations. Sure. It's the one class that they have that's a raging success. It's gone through this technical certificate change uh, with plenty of time for manufacturers and or teams to step away and say no. They have three brand new manufacturers coming in this year. These are factory supported, uh, either completely or almost completely or significantly. Mm-hmm. All those who would have had a chance to run to the hill say, wait a minute, we've run these cars or you know have experience on the GT3 level elsewhere. Acura being the exception, uh, we, we're not, we're not, we don't want anything to do with this. We're running away. It hasn't happened. So, uh, I'm not devaluing your opinion. I'm just saying that the physical proof of it being a calamity and being the wrong direction isn't borne out from a lack of participation in that class. I, I think it remains to be seen um, because what I'm, you know. The, what is interesting, actually, something that you've stimulated in my mind is that Acura and Lexus, of course, are going to be pretty much exclusive to IMSA, which makes more sense if those cars aren't going to be competitive as a GT3 car, that you'd want to performance balance completely differently everybody else in the world because those two guys are major contributors to... IMSA in terms of finances. In fact, obviously Lexus have been playing for a year where they didn't even even compete. I, I just don't understand the point of taking a GT3 category and then changing it. Everywhere else in the world, everybody else accepts it. Why have IMSA got to be contrary about this? I accept the prototype argument because it's a different set of circumstances, both in the sporting regs and in the people that they that are trying to attract in terms of manufacturers. And I wholeheartedly accept that argument and think that that's a great thing to do. I also actually, although people castigate me for it, I thought that the DP concept in the first place wasn't a bad business opportunity and it wasn't a bad idea for what was required at that time in that type of racing. But I just don't see why you would accept a whole bunch of cars in GT3 and say right make a bit the, the other thing was MP let's go back 18 months two years whenever it was to the announcement we're going to open up GTD and we're going over to full ACO FIA spec cars that was the big announcement and that made everybody sit up and take notice and go yeah great in the same way as Continental Tyres have opened up GS to GT4 now 
is that going to be proper GT4? Or is that going to be IMSA GT4? A fiddled around with GT4, a compromised GT4. In the same way as it seems, we're going to compromise GT3. My worry here is that what you're doing is you're opening up a massive can of worms for people to point the finger and say, oh, hang on a minute, Mercedes-Benz, massively successful in Europe, can't buy a victory over here because Honda and Lexus are winning everything. Yeah, I, I don't see those fears at all. And, and you know, we can take the extreme view of what could happen or might be. I work from reality. Uh, and there's another scenario which hasn't been described at all. Audi, for example, takes mm -hmm. the every corner of the world that has GT3 R8 chassis, submits it to IMSA through their technical certificate process. IMSA looks at everything and says, perfect, you, everything's there. Mm -hmm. Everything matches, everything you've submitted, everything we've asked for, the areas that the areas of information and documentation, some of the CAD drawings, some of the whatever performance data that we were lacking in the past, <clears throat> excuse me, have been filled in for the everything we've asked you to populate and send to us. We've run the numbers, we've looked at everything. Perfect. No changes. Now mm. we have a complete technical certificate, IMSA's technical certificate. Good to go. Okay, this BMW, your M6, same thing. Or, hey, you know, you've got two options for uh, air restrictors or whatever it might be. This one we're not so sure about. Let's stick, let's stick with the other one. That's a change. Is that massive? No. It's saying of the options available, mm -hmm. now that we have asked you to present a very robust list of items so that we don't have any gaping holes of knowledge of what's mm -hmm. on your car, now we know that. And second, which is another big thing because this is a, admittedly a big issue for IMSA throughout the season, post-race technical infractions. What's this? What's that? Mm -hmm. What's this height? Is this allowable? <clears throat> With this technical certificate system, IMSA's technical inspectors now have a probably the most robust pick list and verification list they've ever had. So this, the other big part of this, which is maybe hasn't been discussed as much, is this isn't simply give us everything and we'll just reject what we don't like and come up with our mm -hmm. own midway formula that's a hybrid of GT3. This, if anything, was a big knowledge gap filling experience. And second, a technical inspection uh, master sheet for each car to not only expedite that process, but for them to have a better idea of what is legal, what isn't legal, what's allowed, what isn't, so that a team can't come through and say, oh, no, no, that's good over in the BES. You know, great. Uh, <laughs> if it isn't on the approved sheet then that isn't something we can use here. Now, again, would that be different than what's in BES? Sure. But at the same time, we're not too unfamiliar with cars coming or going from Europe and America to Le Mans to yeah. Spa and having to take that piece here, take that off, change those LED headlights to or your lasers to LED, whatever. That happens. So I, don't, I, I can't think of a situation where a GT3 based car or whatever car would show up to IMSA and them say we're going to essentially r write a new uh, homologation for this America specific that takes it so far out of range of what it's used elsewhere that it'd be unrecognizable. Uh, I, I think well that's uh, that well that catch. hasn't been communicated very well because I read this the way I read that was not that this was information gathering although I have to say as a manufacturer um, submitting proprietary CAD data um, to cars that perhaps weren't even released yet in, in certain cases. I might have an issue with that to start with. But 
that's not the way I read it. I read it that that just because something, for example, your FIA technical carnet, which is good everywhere else in the world, is no good as your IMSA technical passport. And what I don't want to see is IMSA doing, frankly, silly things to cars, as has happened in the past with IMSA, where almost arbitrarily wing sizes have been changed, clutches have been changed. Um, even at one point, Porsche produced a special car with a different roll cage because the FIA roll cage wasn't going to be allowed in IMSA competition. Starting to do that, slipping down that road again, is not where we want to go. If it's a data-gathering exercise that makes IMSA's pre- and post-race tech easier, different matter. But that's not how that reads, and I'm indebted to you for explaining that. I, I just don't want to see this Frankenstein halfway house where you've got to remember which bit to bolt on uh, for which event, and, oh, we've got to change that brake or that material there or frankly as i say that rear wing because that is getting to a stage where safety uh, as well as competitiveness is starting to be compromised so three super super quick points uh if we do see imsa start to do silly things through the technical certificates uh we're going to hear about it and know about it because you and I are going to hear about it from the manufacturers and teams immediately. So if this does get out of hand in some way, we're going to know about it instantly, and then we can say, absolutely correct. IMSA took this opportunity mm-hmm. went in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fairly basic thing to grasp here, and I think it's very much a Daytona Beach thing. It's also an American thing, and I, I'm sure it exists in other places in the world too. Just because the FIA says something's good, just because the ACO signs off on something, just because whomever says something's great, uh, okay, if I'm using the same thing, and I'm a sanctioning body as well, wanting to hold and not only hold things to a known standard, but maybe look at areas where we think the way someone else does things and is telling us to accept is deficient, mm-hmm. maybe looking at the ways that we've found shortcomings in that, experiential shortcomings. Oh, man, we didn't, boy, that was allowed. We don't know how it was allowed. If we had known, looked at it, we would not have allowed it. Well, we need to get this stuff under control. Just because the FIA, FIA signed off on something, and I don't mean to sound cavalier, but just because someone said that car X is great, it's it, FIA says it's golden, just let it run, uh, that's not... I wouldn't. I don't work from that mindset. No, but the problem is the problem is Marshall that if you if you this applies with what we expect as well. Yeah, the problem is with that mindset is I don't have a problem with that, providing you're not then trying to promote yourself and ride on the coattails of a global formula that is FIA approved. No problems, and that's what I mean about not having the cojones to go and write your own regulations. Do that. Do whatever you want. Write the own regulations you want. Don't ride on the back of someone else's formula and then say their formula's not good enough for you. That's a dichotomy that you can't get around. And with GT3, that is a huge dichotomy that we have here. It's 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 uh, it just goes against. It, it's to me. It's it sounds like they want the best of both worlds. We want GT3 cars. But we want to be able to do with the GT3 cars whatever we want to suit us and make of it what we will. Well, surely either you accept it or you don't accept it. If it's not for you, that's fine. And IMSA are big enough 
and successful enough to be able to say that. But don't in one breath say, GT3, come one, come all, and then say, oh, but we reserve the right to completely change the formula from top to bottom, rebalance your car, and make you put different parts on it. Now, the other thing that we haven't mentioned, mind you, is that IMSA have undertaken to do this work on their own. This will not be, certainly in the first instance, under the auspices of the team to produce the documentation. As I understand it, MP, um, IMSA Technical have said that they will go through the cars and produce the technical passport for the teams. Therefore, it does not mean a whole another 3,500 pages of of technical passport that they have to go through. Correct. Uh, what, from what I understand, process-wise, IMSA is want to ask asking for massive data dumps. Mm-hmm. You know, all the th- everything you could imagine, uh, so that they can then assemble everything, verify it, make sure that again, get make sure the numbers are correct, populate their own technical certificates correct. for each car, so that way they know that if they have put in a number. If there's any issues with it, uh, the buck stops there. Yes. And that's another thing that I like about it. Yeah, There's Agreed extreme accountability from Agreed. this in whatever it is. Uh, so uh, for what they're trying to do, you know, again, the, you know, I hear the general concept of what you say about, you know, uh, taking a, a global standard. I don't, I haven't heard anything about IMSA saying GT3 is insufficient. I've, I've, understood that there are things that they have found with pretty much every car that has been accepted and given the golden certification uh, and said, yeah, there's there, on this one over here and this, again, I'm just generalizing, but in this little area, there's some fuzziness. I'm not mm. sure about that. We need, well, to, we need to fill in some info. That's, that is the norm in life. You know, Porsche. I've been seeing that since GT3 started, uh, Marshall, and I've been a single voice in, in, in the wind at some stage because there is no technical there are no technical regulations for gt3 it's build it and build it the same the next time around and so long as you screw y and screw z are as they say on your paperwork then it's legal and that's my issue with gt3 so don't get me wrong i don't disagree with what IMSA is saying about the GT3 concept my issue is if you're going to accept the GT3 concept surely you've got to accept it warts and all because it's a global formula that would be like that would be like changing fuel regulations and saying that everybody's got to run on two stroke Um, you know I, I just don't see the point of making that extra work in GT3 in particular, I don't understand the need for that, except if it's to meddle. If there's no reason to meddle with it, then leave it and accept GT3 as GT3 is. God knows, all of the manufacturers go through hell to get those cars um, performance balanced. They go to the do, they do the big data dump, as you rightly said. So why fiddle? Why go through the extra grief if you're not going to mess with it? Well, again, I'll mention this, or this probably be the closing. It'd be one thing, I think there would be more merit to that angle and concern 
if IMSA's GTD category, which is solely GT3 based, mm-hmm. had high traffic, high international traffic. We know, of course, Rolex 24, mm-hmm. maybe maybe even point. Sebring. Uh, there's you know some good extra friends that come from wherever in the world bring their GT3 cars. The vast majority of the vehicles that compete in IMSA in GTD through the year are full-time entry. Whatever they are, they are domestic-based. And so if you think about who they are trying to legislate, the information they're asking for, the cars, they want this heightened level of checking and information so that they know what they have, they know what complies when they're having to do their balance of performance calculations. Do we know if that restrictor that they said is good for use over in this series is... They say it's good, but we want to confirm and if it isn't what options do we have to use something that does this approach really isn't a globally mindsetted thing it's gtd right now at least is 95 percent full-time north american teams no one else let's make sure that the people that are here that come out that we work with them so that we can ensure we can tell them we actually know what to do with your car how to balance it and we don't want you to fail tech so make sure that those parts are on and those aren't i don't see any flaws with that again if it had high international traffic this conversation would be completely different because then they would have to account for a lot of folks coming in who would be saying, you want us to change what? No, 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 no. That that doesn't work for me. Mm. No, that, I, I completely agree. Completely agree with that. MP, brilliant stuff tonight. Really enjoyed that. Um, and Marshall will be joining us next week at 8 o'clock along with Shea Adam of uh, radio of IMSA Radio uh, for our review of the 2016 series. You that, almost said IMSA Radio Lamar. Now I, that I, would uh, one day, one day. Uh, thank you to Joe Bradley. Joe, have you enjoyed yourself tonight? Always a pleasure and, uh, and very good to listen to as well. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Uh, Marshall, thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Stay tuned here on Radio Le Mans. A special programme coming up. Marshall is involved in this again. In fact, he created it. He presents and produces a quite extraordinary story of a racing driver who perhaps we don't remember quite as much for his racing exploits as we should. Coming up as a one-off special here on Radio Le Mans. Stay tuned for the Randy Lanier story with Marshall Pruitt uh, coming up next as an example of Marshall Pruitt's excellent work on marshallpruitt.com. So please stay with us for that. Thank you to Tim in London. And there's no time to really explain because the llama is being homologated for a second time. Yes. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.